Hello and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast. This is episode 51. We're almost at a round year. We did actually work out just before this recording. It will be next week. <gasps> so happy birthday, Eve. Happy to the penultimate birthday podcast. <laughs> <laughs> penultimate suggests that next week will be the last. Like, we did a round year and that's yeah, it. We're out. It will be the last chance for us to celebrate our first birthday as a podcast, yes. Mm. True, yes. Um, I'm Matt Jarvis. I'm the editor-in-chief of Dicebreaker. I am joined this week by two of the team. and joined by Michael Wheels Whelan. Head video for Dicebreaker. Hello, Wills. How are you doing? Hello there. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, on this celebratory occasion, one week before our birthday, my partner has given me a haircut, so I've shaved part Ooh. of my hair. <laughs> Wills, I've also had a haircut. No way. Uh, yeah, yesterday. You... My wife and I cut each other's hair, yeah. Did you also sit in a bathtub? <laughs> um, no, we did it in the kitchen on a chair, um, but because we previously, when I had a haircut, my hair was very long. Um, and for weeks afterwards, all of our clothes, I guess where we washed one of the towels, uh, they just all had hair. So this time it was just like down to the waist, nothing, like covered in my own hair and then having to tiptoe gently through to the bathroom to try and not just scatter it all over the carpet. It's like that scene um, right towards the beginning of Malcolm in the Middle where he's just reading the newspaper butt naked as Lois well shaves his entire body. <laughs> Uh, that's the kind of imagery you tune in for here <laughs> on this board game see, about podcast. This board game about podcast. TV show on. <laughs> uh, we're also joined by Alex Meehan. Hello, Meehan. Yeah, I I haven't had a haircut. <laughs> I no, don't have no butt naked Brian Cranston for Meehan. Let me tell you, <laughs> I don't have a wife to cut my hair, so uh, and I don't want to try and cut my own hair. Uh, so I guess I'm just going to turn into. I don't know, cousin it from the Adams family. <laughs> I would say that I feel very fortunate to. My wife is very good at cutting hair, um, and when I cut hers last time, I did not do a good job. Um, oh despite her instruction, it wasn't terrible. Um, but she came back from work. She's a school teacher, and she was like, "Yeah, I realised that there's this just bit of hair that isn't long enough to go in my ponytail." But isn't short enough to look, so it just kind of dangles. I was like, "Oh, I'm really sorry." When you got um, long hair, can't you just like grab it and go? You know? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't no. work like that. Uh, never, never cut straight across. That's one thing. Uh, always cut upwards to keep it feathered. Um, yeah, it's it's a complicated thing. I mean, I already have a lot of respect for those who deal with hair, hairdressers, and so on. Um, but now a year of cutting our own hair or having cutting each other's hair has only increased that respect mm, yeah um, this is now a hair cutting podcast that's how we, that's how we generate that fresh new content yeah, so get yeah all those all those excited hairdressers in on and the barbers of course yeah i mean <laughs> someone's got to supply the hair for lolis's endless supply of wigs exactly uh, so here we are <laughs> Uh, we're well, here. What you don't realise <laughs> is that for our birthday, we've actually got something very special planned for both of you. We're going to be sending mm. someone round to full body shave both of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! L- look forward and then to we're this. Combine all of that body hair into one wig. Subscribe to our next mm. RPG episode. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to have what looks like a scarecrow, but instead of straw, it's just hair. <laughs> A hair, oh, a hair crow. It's like that scene in Hannibal. <laughs> uh, we're here, if you couldn't tell, to talk about this week's board games and tabletop RPGs and whatnot. We wouldn't, we wouldn't blame you for not being able to tell. 
let's uh let's dive in let's dive in me and let's start with you what have you been playing recently oh what have i been playing well it seems like uh in order to acquire some form of comfort i've once again been falling back into old habits of playing uh, both Six Nymph and Terraforming Mars, two games that I've already talked about quite extensively on this podcast. At length. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so regular listeners and watchers will know that uh, these two games that I enjoy and play a lot of newer uh, individuals might want to know that uh, our Terraforming Mars game lasted around four hours. <laughs> And this is on the app as well, so that's with a lot of the stuff handled for you, right? Yeah, I don't know what happened. We started like we started at like half one. Obviously, there was some, you know, pre preamble involved with shenanigans stuff, trying to set it up because it's just like the pre match show. Yeah, 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 exactly. The pre match show containing us trying to work out why Asmodi Digital isn't allowing us to play with one another, uh, and then getting into it, and then just, you know, like mucking about a bit, going off to get some snacks. I think uh, a Sainsbury's order arrived and an Asda order arrived during oh. the entire thing. So there was just a lot of interruptions. And I think we ended up finishing about half five, six, something like that. Not, um, like, not to the same house, though, right? <laughs> no, no, You're no. playing so it's long, bougie. multiple shops like, turning up. Well, I like this own brand stuff from this shop. I like this own brand stuff from this shop. So I'm just going <laughs> to order them both for the same night. <laughs> no, we somehow both, like, coordinated our orders to come, both our households to come exactly the same day. And around the same time. Uh, so, but, you know, Terraforming Mars is the kind of game you can sort of leave and, like, go and do something else while you're playing. Um, you know, because you can kind of pay attention, but the game sort of tells you what's been going on. Um, I lost. Uh, so there's that. Uh, but it was very close. You know, I was only two points behind the person ahead of me. And I think I was only like five points behind the person who won. Um, so it was pretty dang close. And I don't know what happened. I think I just focused so much on getting all the money and like not really necessarily getting, you know, points. Um, it's a, a hard nut to crack sometimes. you got to figure out a strat and not just think, oh, what works well with my company Let's just do that for a bit and then I'll hang on, wait a minute, I've got to actually do things to make sure I'm going to have points at the end. So, you know, capitalism, it, it just, is great, yeah. it distracts yeah. you from what really like matters. <laughs> um, so we did that and then we played some Six Nymph in the week, just, just to hang out together. Uh, I think I did all right in that, it was fun. I think one game we played with like ten people or something. It was wild. Wow. Bloody hell! Um, yeah, that was uh, uh, the more people you add into that equation, the more that like luck and randomness starts to sort of take over, <laughs> and there's a lot less strategy involved and more like, oh god, how am I supposed to predict the actions of nine other people? Uh, fondly enough, you can't. You just got to hope that you don't get terrible cards 
I mean, I, I can't even predict my own actions, so I don't know how I would even start with that. Such honestly. a maverick. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't play by the rules of society. Yeah. You know I mean? <laughs> Will's, Will's on his skateboard. He's got his cat backwards. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I've been playing, really. Just um, same old, same old. I have games I, I need to play, but, you know... Sometimes the old favourites just can't help it. Hmm. Uh, Are you playing Six Nymph over Tabletop Zone? A board game arena. A board game arena. A really good version on board game arena that just works really well and streamlines the whole process. And it just means you can just sort of sort, you know, sit there and laugh at other people's misfortunes <laughs> while maybe having a drink during it. We've discussed this before. Uh, but... Um, Wheels, what did we all play together last well, we, week? We played a, a lovely game. Uh, <laughs> all three of us, including Lolis, who's unfortunately not with us today. Um, we played a bit of Inish, which mm. is uh, a game about ancient Irish clans clashing. It's not Clash of Clans. No. Um, clashing to become the like High King or whatever it is. Uh, basically, like you know, the Lord of Lord or High Lord of Lord of all everything. Yeah. Um, so basically, the game is is kind of part of like a, a three box run of games that Matago put out, and they're not necessarily designed by the same people, but they all have the same sort of philosophy of like big, colorful box set in like a mythological version of a part of the world and a part of history, um, and they're all about sort of like area control. So this one is probably the wackiest one of the three because it's the very most like. Is it sorry? It's the least like straight and narrow war game out of all of them, because um, the other two are Cyclades, which is ancient Greek, um, which is basically a war game, but you have to like auction your moves, um, and then Comet, which is basically a war game, but you have like a tech tree. Um, with Inish, like instead of being like, can you kill everyone and win by holding all the stuff? There's like three different win conditions. Um, one where you have to hold a certain amount of land. One where you have to like rule over a certain amount of opposing players' uh, pieces, and then one where you have to like be present in like places that have sanctuaries, which are essentially like churches. Um, so like you're kind of, you know, sort of just straddling the line between two different victory conditions at all times, trying to think like, okay, well, which one will I go for now? But and, like pretty much throughout the entire game, you are desperate to not get in a fight. Like you getting in a fight is the worst thing that can happen to you. You get like because you just get absolutely annihilated on both sides, and it's such a thing of like, yeah, sure you won, but you still lost half your men in the process, you know. Um, so it's very much like how much can I get away with without kicking up a fuss and and just sort of like coasting along without causing too many problems, without too many people looking at me and thinking I'm going to win. Uh, and then just like going for the for the run at the end, which Lolis did fantastically, and just sort of yeah. just ticked along, getting a getting our provinces under our control, all that kind of thing, whilst we all bickered and squabbled <laughs> in one region. <laughs> she wasn't interested in the petty disagreements that we all indulged in. Yeah, uh, she sort of just went off on her own and explored the entirety of Ireland, and then just conquered it, and then we were left there you know uh, with our toys thrown out of our hands <laughs> well we have this thing because the, the way that image works there's there's a role called the bren uh, and the bren is um in charge of a lot of important things 
Emperor is essentially decided by who is currently ruling the capital city. So the whole board is made up of different regions. So you'll get like the highlands or the misty lands or the forests or, or the salt lines, which was a big funny one. Um, but one of them has the capital city in it, which means that if you're the ruler of that, you become the Bren. I like to call it the caretaker manager because you basically like you're in control until the person who wins takes over. Um, but Lolis was Bren from the start and then just never stopped because yeah. nobody ever challenged her for it. Because literally, like, next door, <laughs> we were just having a 400-person fight for absolutely no benefit whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was just nothing to gain. <laughs> there was just this one area that we were all set on controlling. And I didn't really have an amazing benefit, but I think we were just all eyeing it up except for Lolis who really yeah. couldn't give a rat's far. Mm. I um, think it's because at some point we ended up with so many clans people in there as well that whoever would have ruled would have a good chance of getting winning. the victory condition yeah. but because every time we had a fight it was chewing Everyone through died. so many <laughs> clan people. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, that was... yeah we had a great time we played yeah. that stream we were, mm. we were like getting towards the end of the stream we were like oh I don't want to stop like, I want to see what happens. Um, but we just managed to get it just in the two hour mark, uh, mm. which considering the amount of crap we talk is a pretty, pretty good uh, <laughs> time time to play, I reckon. It, it means mm. it's, quite, it's quite a quick game. But yeah, it's a really great game, all about sort of like drafting cards and then the cards have the actions that you can play. Um, so it's very much like one of those games where uh, you can only do the things that are put in front of you, um, which like takes away a lot of the sort of like analysis paralysis you usually get with those kind of games where you're just sort of like oh what do i do what do i want to do this turn because you know if i do that then i could do this but i've, I've got four actions so i have to do this whereas this is just like okay you need to play a card when you play a card you do what it says on the card and it makes it so much easier for players to learn and all that kind of thing it's, it's a really really great design and really sort of like very different from other things in the same genre which is quite cool mm, yeah, yeah. I, I thought i'd the... never played before I thought the drafting element in that game is very interesting. Mm. It just it just makes it something entirely like different. Um, it's very it's very much one of those games where all the cards are good as well. So every time you pick something, you're passing along something. You're like, oh god, I wish I wasn't giving that <laughs> to someone. <laughs> yeah, you can also see what you're potentially giving your opponent. Yeah. So you kind of have maybe a suspicion of what you think they're going to be able to do. Mm. Because uh, you've already seen some of those cards, uh, and it is about yeah making those snap decisions while you're you're drafting. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's it's quite cutthroat, but mm. you have to uh, be a bit conniving. Yeah. Huh? What did you yes, say? It, yes, it is, me and <laughs> What's that? Very cutthroat. You two had a real arms race. <laughs> <laughs> you came the into my the salt mines. I was quite happy in my meadow. <laughs> Just I looking at my tree. I don't know why I have to go over this with you again. Oh, no. <laughs> you know exactly why I did what I did. Don't act innocent. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, apart from that, I have been playing quite a lot of uh, the Arkham Horror uh, Living Card Game Yeah. by Fantasy Flight, um, which is something we've recommended a lot. Um, and to be honest, whilst I think it's a great game and I've recommend, I'll recommend it very, very happily, I've never gotten out of the starter set. Like I've always just like mm. played the starter set of a new person, and then that person, like for whatever reason, hasn't carried on. So I've then introduced it to someone else and someone else. Finally, um, because my partner loves it, absolutely loves it, um, we couldn't stop playing it this weekend. 
So we ended up going to the board game shop in Brighton, uh, Dice Saloon, and buying the Dunwich Legacy, ah, which nice. is the first like campaign box. Um, and it took us a little while to understand how campaigns work in this game, but essentially, there's things called cycles, which mm. is you know just like a because it, it it's kind of structured like a trading card game in the way that you know like um, what's the most recent Magic set uh, Legends of of generic fantasy name. Or whatever. <laughs> uh, I so, believe it's Coldheim was the most yeah. recent one. Coldheim, for example, yeah. Here's a bo- here's a big box full of brand new cards, and you can get them. Etc. Uh, Etc. Et and based on the business model, it's either you buy 400 booster packs and hope you get them, or you can buy a box that has the same cards for everyone. This is one of those ones, the the latter, where it's like you buy a box and it contains new characters you can play as, new cards that they can use, and then in this case, it has two separate scenarios. But those two scenarios are part of like a eight scenario campaign. So after you finish that box, you can then buy six blister packs which are basically like another mission, another mission, another mission. And each one has like a couple of player cards in it as well. So you kind of like go through the story that way. Um, and you can play the missions as much as you want. You can go back to them. So we ended up, we played, we started playing the box with two characters. I was playing uh, this guy who plays a trumpet. He's very yeah, cool. I like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's a good one. He, can, he can summon the dead with his trumpet, which is very good. Uh, and I liked him, but he got absolutely annihilated in our let's play. So we're like, we by the end of by the end of the two scenarios, we were like, we are so screwed. Um, my partner was playing the uh, Jenny, the dilettante, who's like, she's like this sort of like southern belle, but she's got like twin forty fives, and she's very yeah. cool. Um, so we ended up playing again, uh, and we're like, okay, well let's do it the other way around, because well, you can choose which order you play them in. So we'll play the casino one first. We played new characters. I for that time I played as someone else, and we once again got absolutely destroyed. And we were like, "What are we doing wrong? Should we put the difficulty down? Because we were playing on standard. Like, should we give ourselves the easier difficulty?" And we looked at the like because in, in Arkham you use like a bag of tokens rather than dice, mm. so you can you can basically you're basically like constructing a one die in a bag, and you can add different sides to it by just putting a token in the bag. Um, you could basically like see the odds for each difficulty level and the easy one just seems so easy to the point where we're like no let's just give it one more go and then probably be really upset if we lose um so i ended up playing a guy called ashcan pete and let me tell mm-hmm. you folks oh he's a legend um he is, is he the bootlegger no he's like a sort of traveler um he's got like a dog He's great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> His main thing, he's one of the survivor characters, which are the red characters, and they're really like, they're really good like all rounders because they have um, those weapons, they've got equipment, they've got allies, they've got like they can do quite a lot of things. Like they they can do a little bit of discovering, a little bit of fighting, a little bit of evading, um, which made him really useful. But his special power is he has a dog called Duke, and you can just he starts. He doesn't start in your deck. He starts already in play, which is huge because he's like one of the better allies in the deck. Um, and you can like exhaust him to either fight with him or investigate with him, which makes your stats like way better. Uh, and all of a sudden, when we actually had like two all-rounder characters, rather than being like, I'll do all of the investigating, mm. you do all of the fighting. We always ended up where it was like, cool, the investigating character has got four enemies trying to kill them, <laughs> and the uh, the fighter person can't do any of the clues because they can't get around and do it. Um, once we actually got a little bit more of a balance, we we just crushed it. Like went through both scenarios, didn't didn't take any trauma, got the best endings on both of them. We were like, all right, cool, 
now it's time to move on to the blister packs <laughs> um but yeah so i might I'm, we're gonna be playing a lot of the blister packs i might every time i come on the podcast i do a little update from arkham of what's been going on in our campaigns <laughs> it's the arkham update um Non news from over the atlantic <laughs> um, I, one of the man. things that i like about arkham horror because i my wife and i play a lot of mansions of madness it's mm-hmm. maybe like our favorite game maybe it's certainly our most played game i'd say yeah. like every Very time similar, they put out right? an expansion yeah like and it's miniatures and app rather than cards yeah and i think that's the thing is like i'm as sick of lovecraft games as anybody else and like lovecraft massive racist anti-semite a lot of horrible things but i do think arkham horror files the universe does a good job of separating out the bits that are interesting about the cthulhu mythos but also building up their own series of characters. Yeah. And it's those characters that I find my, like, interest is it. Like, the monsters, meh, you know, like, yeah. a frawl turns up and it's, an, it's a frawl and there's a deep one and stuff like that. But they're just kind of generic fodder. But I do actually, I found myself over, because we've played, what, Eldritch, Arkham Horror, the Living Card game, the Mansions of Madness, El- Elder Dice, and you do find yourself being like, "Oh, I actually really do like this character." And yeah, like yeah. I find myself always going back to uh, Diane or Diana, the reformed cultist. Yeah, I like uh, her. Yeah, yeah, and like my wife always plays the, I think it's the cop with a shotgun, mainly just because she likes Roland the Fed. Oh, maybe it's not then. It's the guy. He starts with like a particular shotgun. It's got a name like oh, I'm not sure um, Betty yeah, or something. There's, there's a lot of characters now. Like there's quite a quite a big sort of like roster. And yeah, like, in Venice, like they're they're super diverse. Like there's there's a lot of um, a lot of people of color. Color. There's a lot of like uh, even gender splits and, and like it's genuinely. And one of the best things is that, um, especially playing with my partner who is you know identifies as a woman is is like there is. A lot of very very strong female characters as well um which is something that was a lot easier to um sort of like introduce her to the uh to the universe mm. rather than just being like cool yeah all the strong buff dudes and then like the women who need help it's like it's not like that at all really like yeah. you've got you've got like equally sort of like brainy punchy fast characters across the spectrum and it's like yeah they're they're all really like uh diverse and from different backgrounds and and are just sort of interesting because of their character and not because of you know um any kind of superficial crap mm. Mm. yeah i think the arkham files uh universe as they call it <laughs> um <laughs> arkham files end game <laughs> yeah um yeah it's got a big potential to kind of uh be very bloated and i guess you could argue already is quite bloated particularly with you know the frequent arkham horror card game releases i know match the madness get like regular expansions um i'd say like eldritch and arkham are a little less so because i think they they don't tend to release as many expansions uh for those two games and same with elder sign um but i've played uh, I think I've played all of them now, uh, except for maybe Arkham Horror. Um, and I I like all of them for different reasons. I mean, I would say I like some of them more than others. Uh, I think Eldritch Horror, again, is just such a really good game. And, like, I want to own a copy of that now because it's just... 
it's just a great experience and yeah like you you two have said it's got elements of you know Cthulhu mythos without all the gross stuff Mm. um and the characters are very compelling you become very attached to them um mostly because you have adventures with them like you go through all these like really well-written scenarios um, that and and the various actions you perform will have some very serious consequences in the game. Um, it's not afraid to throw punches, and Arkham Horror the card game is one that I definitely want to try more. I think I've only played it a few times, and I really enjoyed it. I really like the concept of it. Uh, it's definitely one I want to give a go. Um, it's just like finding people to play with and yeah. getting started with the you know, with the right starter packs and campaigns and things. So Yeah. I will say that for anyone listening who's thinking of getting into it and doesn't have like someone around to play with, which is a pretty common thing right now because of the pandemic, um, it, it, it works really well solo as well. Like there's it's you know, it's a co op game, so you know, as you'd expect it works well solo. Um but also it's like just as uh you know, like just as um interesting to play with one as with one person as as uh, as a group i think and to the point where you know like it's it's kind of built for for smaller groups i think because mm. um you know when you buy the base set you either play it with one or two you can play with four but you need to buy a, another base set on top of that mm. so to to like have just one or two people playing is kind of a, a bit of a cheaper but also um you know like a bit more sort of like uh designed to be played like that kind of yeah thing. i mean you could you could always sort of band together with a group to buy like the starter set and some campaigns or something because it is a co-op game like it's, and it is again a lot more beneficial i think to play with the same people on a yeah. regular basis because you yeah you grow attached to those characters and the party that you formed and the stories that they they experience along the way so that's a that's an option hmm. And it gives you that sort of like deck building um, feel, but it's not like one th- one thing that I get with like deck building trading card games is like you build a deck and then you lose with it a hundred times, <laughs> and then like maybe you'll get something good out of it a while after you've like refined it. Whereas with with Arkham, like you you build your deck to start with, and you might really not know what you're doing with it, but then like you you start because basically in between each um, campaign session you get experience points that you can then spend on upgrading and, and adding to your deck and, and swapping it around. So you're encouraged to constantly just sort of like tinker around with it. Um, but each of those cards serve a purpose regardless of whether or not you want the flavor text because they've got like this kind of system where you can spend a card and every single card has a little icon on the, on the left side which will improve your odds at a, a um, skill test. So you, even if you've got loads of cards that don't really work, you can still at the very least make your stats better and then you can start, you know, thinking about what doesn't work, what does, start twisting things around, maybe try a new character. And it really, like, incentivizes you to be, like, experimental in between each session, mm. um, whilst also giving you that sort of sense of progression, where it's not just like, here's my deck, and I finally made it work, which doesn't really mean some- anything right now, because I'm, I'm just sort of, like, you know, beating my friends or beating people online. Whereas with this, it's like, oh, I finally got my deck to work. 
now I'm feeling a lot more confident as we go on through each adventure and like it feels like your character's grown kind of thing and have gotten a bit more like handy in the situation. Yeah, it's a really good game and I'm I'm looking forward to playing a lot more of it because it's it's really cool. I haven't yeah. even talked about the the casino level and how smart that is because it has like a sort of social stealth thing which is really cool. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I think I'm I'm with you. Like I don't care for deck construction games, mm-hmm. uh, as in I don't care for the deck construction bit of games like Magic. Like I. Partly because I just don't have the time to dedicate to learning the meta and sitting there for however long building up a deck. Arkham Horror, the card game, has been one of the few where, like you yeah. say, because it's you can start with a fixed deck and then it's like, okay, like you say, you can just swap out one or two cards after each mm. scenario. And it's more of like a leveling kind of system than exactly, it is. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I need to build around the meta or I need to like counter things. It's, it's yeah it's yeah it's good it's because, a great game because like i'm i'm very much in the same camera as like, i'm not necessarily a big fan of spending ages deck building but it's it's got so many things to just sort of help you out where it's like you want to play a blue character you can just grab all the blue cards that come in the start of set mm. and a couple from the from the new box shove some neutral cards on top and then you golden like that will be like a relatively good set and then you can just like play with them figure out what you don't like and just get rid of them um but what i also love is that like (laughs) you you have like a limited pool of cards as well so i was sat there like we were building decks next to each other me and my partner and we were arguing about no i want that card no you can't there's only two of those you can't have both of them (laughs) which is a really like fun little uh bit of stupidity as well but yeah matt what have you been playing i've been talking for hours (laughs) uh speaking of hours I didn't play Terraforming Mars with Mian because I was instead playing Forgotten Waters with some friends um, who wanted to give it a go. And we actually played using the Remote Assistant app. Um, so I spoke about Forgotten Waters, I think, last week. It's the yeah. pirate game from Plaid Hat, who did Dead of Winter. Um, combines a companion app with a, like a storybook, a flipbook, and a board. Um, and individual player sheets, which are unique, and you fill them in. It's a really interesting game. It's a really good game. Um, previously, my wife and I had just played it, the two of us, using the two-player variant, which is solid. Um, with more people, there's more of the infamy track, which is where you are kind of jostling to be the most famous pirate, even though you're working together on the ship to survive and not sink and so on. You also might screw over each other or steal someone else's treasure um, because, you know, you're a pirate. It's what you do. Mm. Uh, so we played with five of us um, using the remote assistant which is free, is you run it alongside the companion app. So it basically replaces a lot of the boards you have on the table. So instead of having trackers for infamy and ship hull um, and crew and stuff like that, you just have this app and it shows it on the screen and everyone can join and see it. Um, the only bit that you still have to have out uh, is really the the board with the ship on, which you don't use loads anyway. So you still have to have a physical copy. So my wife and I had obviously played before. The other three players had never played Forgotten Waters. Um, I the experience was really good. It was a really kind of slick experience. We played for, I think it was like three hours in the end. Um, and that was enough to get through the first half of a scenario. But that wasn't because the app was necessarily slowing us down. It probably took a little longer than it usually would. But that was just, I think, the length of the... We sailed around for a little bit and we didn't go mm. direct to where we needed to go. But the Remote Assistant app, is a, I think, is a really good example of how you can offer something that lets you play a physical board game over the internet, basically. Like, we pointed a webcam at the shipboard on our end, but then we just looped in Discord, so I shared our screen, um, which had the companion app, so all the audio narration Mm -hmm. looped through as well, so they could all hear that. 
Uh, it was really smooth. It went really well. We had a really fun time. Uh, there is so there there are a lot of player sheets. They're all different. Um, so for instance, I was Boots McDecker, the Grifter, I think, and someone else was something else. We you have different kind of like the something, the something. You have your little unique story. One of our friends was a skeleton, and the writing for the skeleton is incredible. Because it's just like the skeleton doesn't believe that it's a skeleton. So it's cases where it's like, uh, I reached out to touch my skin um, or someone reached to touch my skin and they were like, oh, there's no skin here. It was like, oh, it's because of something else. It's not because I'm a magically animated skeleton. And it's just like this recurring punchline of (laughs) that exact phrase, like magically animated skeleton. And it's really good. Like the writing in that game is genuinely just it's really strong it's very funny um we'd actually said so the dlc came out last friday the first bit of dlc for it uh kraken's eye so that adds a scenario which we didn't play but it also adds in like a hundred extra events uh to the randomized companion app uh so i can't tell which ones were new and which ones weren't they just kind of pop up but mm. uh that game just continues to be really good fun like the hours kind of flew by we were just sailing around we went to an island we were kind of squabbling among each other over infamy and treasure and things like that. Uh, like, again, like all the treasure cards, it's like you can get a big old wheel of cheese. So at one point we needed the ship to go faster, so we had to throw the wheel of cheese overboard. Oh, no. And it's those little stories like that. It does a really good job of just like basically handing you a load of stuff and going like, okay, go go set around. Here's, here's the objective you're trying to get to. Here's this island. But on the way, you'll encounter a dozen smaller things. Mm. So, like, we had a fight with a ship at one point. There was something involving a parrot. Um, those kinds of just little moments that are all thrown up by the app. And also just us kind of squabbling amongst each other over infamy or stealing treasure off each other. Uh, it's really good. I'm really, really enjoying it. I think I really, really loved Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. If I had played this last year, this may have been my favorite game of last Whoa. year. It's really good. It's really, really good. Wowzers. Um, I, so, yeah. Considering that I've now learned that my partner loves story-based co-op games. That might be the next thing on the list. That is that is it. Like The, yeah. the actual gameplay is light. There's a little bit of you pick actions um, when you go to a location and you get supplies and you, re- you fix the ship and you have kind of like cannon battles of stuff. But most of it is the story stuff it's you know you go somewhere you make a decision so it's like we went into a hut at one point and it's like there's there was an old woman who charged us with a knife and someone uh cut her down wow and the writing is like oh no like we we slew an innocent old lady and then it's like and then you look in the cupboard and there are a load of human bones and a book on how to like butcher a human <laughs> and the voiceover's like oh well never mind <laughs> it's it's kind of like dark and it also does a good job of there we had multiple fights and there was like a recurring joke about we slew a particular pirate called little gay in one of the fights and there's this whole thing about the crew the like enemy crew being distraught and like chanting little Gertie's name, um, <laughs> which is funny by itself. And then multiple fights later, you fight someone else who was dressed like little Gertie and it turns out to be someone like that had been on that crew and is now kind of like trying to redeem their name <laughs> and things like this. It's all little things like that, that are just, 
it does a really good job of just feeling very fun and the tone is silly but not like shallow yeah um, mm. so yeah so i continue to love forgotten waters my wife and i played a bit more micro macro crime city mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um a couple of the cases we did there are a couple of just slightly more like elements of uh the crimes and the characters that are a shame in a game that is otherwise fantastic mm. um so for those who don't remember micro macro is like where's wally meets sherlock holmes consultant detective you solve crimes by looking for a big old map poster size map um and yeah there were just a couple of things where you go like hmm not sure about that yeah. kind of just like slightly off taste um luckily they're not at least the ones we've encountered so far i think we're about halfway through the cases they're not so um problematic that it kind of puts off completely but it was that thing of just like you know it just you don't like to see it in a game that is yeah. otherwise really good fun mm. yeah and it's um, a shame. Um, yeah i'm kind of cursing my postman at the moment because i have like got a copy on order to possibly do a review for the channel something like that but it's not here yet and i want it now <laughs> yeah it's it's real good um and then finally this is not a game uh, and i'll be quick on this because we're running over but my wife and I have started watching uh, an anime called After School Dice Club, which I just wanted to mention because uh, we started watching it because... Uh, you already we'd... took up the whole morning meeting talking about anime, Mr. Jarvis. I didn't. Look, I was provoked. Um, <laughs> but we, I swear, we fin- Judge, they provoked me. <laughs> we finished Haiku, which is excellent. It's one of the best shows I've ever watched. You should all watch Haiku, but it's about volleyball, not board games, so I won't talk about it anymore. Um after School Dice Club is it's a really interesting anime where it's about a group of kids that get together to play board games. But the interesting thing about it is that the board games are all real board games. All right. So each episode is just like the first episode has Marrakesh and they'll just run through the rules. So it's almost like watching a rules tutorial in the middle of an anime. That's amazing. To be the fair. second one is about, um, not six named, it's about, oh, what is it? Oh, Cockroach Poker. Mm. Um, poker, so yeah. they'll just be like here's how you play cockroach poker and all the art is cockroach poker and the boxes are the actual boxes which kind of look a little bit out of place sometimes versus the like the anime kind of style of everything else oh. because obviously the board games are all distinctive different art styles yeah um so that's interesting i would say that the rest of the show it's a bit like meh. i don't <laughs> particularly care for the characters so far like the main character is just a bit of a wet sponge that just exists to <laughs> walk from place to place and then be like, show me a game now. Um, and it's I just a bit. I how that works. Like, I wonder if. I was like... wondering about the licensing. Yeah, because mm. like, you know, it's it's the classic anime joke of anime, anime joke of like, oh, I'm drinking my Pepsi, you know, mm. like, Bepsi. like you know, I, I went to McDonald's or something. Um, but I, I think um, it kind of reminds me of semi-co-op do like. Uh, so semi are, are like a webcomic all about board games mm, um, and they have like a sort of uh, like I don't know if I, th- I think they do sort of like sponsored comics where they'll do their kind of joke format but also sort of teach you how to play the board game as well so like there was one that was for Undaunted for example you got the characters in like sort of World War 2 garb and stuff like that and it's like I wonder if they've got like a sort of agreement like direct line of communication with the people making the board games and be like yeah like, well, could a board game sponsor this anime to make an episode about it, you know? It was interesting strange. because... So at one point they walk into, like, a board game shop and they're just... Are loads... Like, my wife and I kind of almost paused it to just look at all the things on the shelf and could be like, yeah. oh, there's this and this and this. Mm. But they do mention at one point they're discussing trading card games and they flash up cards that are not Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! And I think... 
Like the third one looked like the Final Fantasy trading card game, but it wasn't. But they were very clearly. Oh, they were lookalikes. Uh, okay. Yeah, they got the license so, for something. Yeah, they're but... big brands, though, right? Like especially Yu-Gi-Oh, which yeah. has its own anime, which Whereas, surely be like no. <laughs> yeah, something like Cockroach Poker, you can imagine the creators yeah. of the show being able to get that because it essentially just promotes the because here's a group of people having fun and playing this yeah. game and oh, so, teaching how to play. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting. Like I say, I don't think it's a great. Um, it's I don't particularly love slice of life anime. Uh, which is basically just people doing tedious things and living their lives, um, but but it's Matt, that's this podcast. <laughs> I'm I'm watching it solely to be like, oh, that's interesting to see what game pops up and you know what they say about it. But I think all the surrounding story I'm not invested in at all. Sorry, after school dice club. Yeah, I'm sure they're devastated. Yeah, go watch that on like. Crunchyroll, or uh, I think it's Funimation, which isn't a great platform for anime Funimation. anyway, because their player is terrible. It's really bad, um, <laughs> but it's where it's available. So well, there, you, there go. you go. If you're interested in an anime about board games, I think there's only twelve episodes. I don't think it has a second season, as far as I know. Um, we're only a couple of episodes in. It might pick up, but so far it's just kind of like yeah, it just kind of trundles along. Like the story so far is people go play board games, uh, and then there was a like a slightly funny thing about one of them having a crush on the other one as is the way oh and and trying to throw the game deliberately so that they oh. won and accidentally oh. like eliminating them uh, yeah. <laughs> that was slightly more interesting but yeah if you do want a good anime go watch heaven does heaven's design right, team Matt, let's news. heaven's Matt, design team it, yeah 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 it. okay Matt, we're going news. over you can't turn you're allowed to do complete tangents as long as it's not anime <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's move on to these. Naked Danny DeVito's or Brian Cranston's, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> this is mutiny. This is mutiny. Uh, okay, let's move on to the news because uh, we are running over. Let's get yes. through these quick. Okay, top of the <laughs> news list Gen Con <laughs> has been delayed. Um, so Gen Con normally takes place in August. Of course, last year replaced by Gen Con Online for the obvious reasons. Uh, was originally scheduled to return in a physical event this August, um, but it's now been delayed to september kind of 16th to the 19th so mid-september and interestingly they are have they're holding a physical event but they are also capping the number of people that can attend it and holding gen con online again at the same time and also introducing a new kind of strand which they're calling pop up gen con um which is an interesting kind of initiative where they bill it as the demos that you would play at Gen Con uh, of new games that are coming out, they're planning to bring those to various local game stores. Huh. So instead of traveling all the way to Indiana, you could presumably go to your local game store. They would have one of the demos or several of the demos that you would see in person at Gen Con and be able to play them there instead, um, huh. which I think is interesting. And obviously the online component will be much the same as it was last year. So panels and, and things like that. Uh, and then there will be a capped physical show. Uh, so kind of greatly reduced because of various health and safety guidelines. So yeah, it's, it is back, but in a very different form to mm. previously. Hmm. I mean, they're adapting in response to <coughs> all of this. So, mm. you know, it, it sounds interesting. It'd be, yeah, let's see whether they spread themselves too thin. I don't know whether that's going to be a concern. Um, the online thing is interesting. I wonder whether 
a lot of conventions are just going to continue doing something similar, even when yeah. things do become a lot safer for larger groups of people. Just because I don't think it opens things up to people who can't afford to travel all the way to these places and, and you know, stay there, etc. Um, you know, obviously a big appeal of the conventions and being able to go uh, to, you know, physically to the place and play games with other people and stuff, you know, stuff like that. So, but, you know, not everyone has that luxury. So it might be good for them to use some of the online platforms that we have available to allow people to actually experience those games. Mm. I do think it's... Uh, Gen Con Online, I think, was had a kind of mixed reception. Mm. Um, I think it's been... Uh, a struggle for like any tabletop event to really kind of capture the spirit of being there in person you know that's that's the appeal yeah. of those events you go there you sit around a table together so i think actually this pop-up initiative is a smart way of finding that balance and actually like I say being a lot more accessible even without the surrounding situation of covid like mm. i think in some ways this is a really good idea yeah um we've kind of seen similar things in the past i think um international tabletop day tried to do something similar um, I might be wrong, uh, and I don't think it particularly took off in the way that they hoped. Um, and other things like Free RPG Day are relatively kind of small. Yeah. Um, but I think actually there is some. There's definitely something to be said for Indiana. Like a lot of people can't attend from the US or outside of the US, so this is a good way of making use of, you know, the the spread of local game shops, supporting local game shops, and getting people through the doors there. Um, and kind of having that same feeling of getting around a table but not having to travel hundreds of miles and cram into a room with, you know, tens of thousands of people, which for, you know, for many folks, even without the health and safety stuff at the moment, isn't something they might want to do. So mm. it'll be interesting. I hope this this takes off and this becomes more of a norm, this kind of, you know, we're making these demos widely accessible for people to play in person, whether it's digitally, whether it's in person at friendly local game stores. Because uh, I think more accessibility in the hobby is never a bad thing, and giving people the chance to play things for themselves mm. uh, is a good thing. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's move on to the next one as we rush through. Uh, Zedman, publisher of Pandemic, etc. Not publisher of the Euro Classics line, uh, which has announced its ending. Um... So for those who don't know, Zedman, part of Asmodee, uh, the massive board game giant that also owns places like Fancy Flight and so on. Uh, Zedman, probably best known for Pandemic, I'd say, also mm. does Carcassonne, mm. uh, picked up Love Letter, which was originally published by Orderac. Um, and it did have a line of Euro Classics, which uh, it released five titles under that kind of name, uh, which were all kind of older titles that they gave a bit of a visual overhaul tightened up a few of the rules i think uh coincidentally the first five and the only five now euro classics were all reiner knizia games hey! I was say it, was, it was basically the let's make a prettier version of reiner knizia games line <laughs> yeah so there was taj mahal samurai ra through the desert and tigris and euphrates um tigris and euphrates um so great great games like Ra and Tigris and Euphrates particularly, like, absolute classics. Mm. Um, and from what I've heard, those versions are decent. I think some folks griped a little about the component changes, but I think it made the games, you know, like, a bit more accessible. Uh, yeah, I know I that got... some folks didn't like the price point. <laughs> but... Well, 
I've got the raw um, copy from from that line, and yeah, it was pretty spenny. I think it was like forty five quid or something. Which, yeah. considering it was, it's basically just an auction game with tiles. Like there was, yeah, there was a bit of a sort of like upscale of the of the cost. It, it felt a bit sort of not gentrified, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I um, think it was kind of. Yeah. It felt like they were probably leaning into the the trend of board games being more impressive in terms of components and being yeah. able to come in at that higher point. They did look very pretty. I don't know if the components were all that much to shout about necessarily, considering mm. they were going for that sort of like luxury board game brand line sort of thing. Um, but what's confusing is this quote where it says, Zedman is no longer an indie publisher. We have many existing obligations, like supporting our four major game brands of Pandemic, Carcassonne, Love Letter, and Citadels, which... I mean, usually when people are no longer in indie game brands, they do more things. But... Yeah, and I would say that Zedman has long been in the kind of upper echelon of, yeah. like, quote, yeah. small public. I mean, it publishes Pandemic, and Pandemic's been out 13 years now, One and Pandemic has games. been huge yeah. for yeah, over they've a been, decade. They've been milking that brand for, for like, a decent amount <laughs> of that. Squeezing that good, good green milk out of it. Yeah, they've been squeezing those udders. Like, it's not like this is a new thing that they're suddenly doing and they're saying yeah. everyone. Um, so and, I, you know, I would say the Euro Classic line probably isn't something that an indie publisher would do because an indie publisher would probably just make their own new games rather than, you know, re-release existing older ones. Yeah, so uh, Steve Kimball, who's the head of studio over there, he added some other kind of... Um, indications of why they're making this move so he mentions kickstarter and that often being kind of a route for uh, many publishers to bring out reprints like this because you obviously go to people who are directly interested um also mentions kind of the changing industry um as a whole the board game industry mentions uh, kind of took a shot at, uh shut up and sit down particularly Whoa. Uh, saying that you need to pray that any number of witty uk board game influencers take notice and give you coverage maybe they were talking um, about us man <laughs> no we're not witty there, don't worry about it <laughs> there was a particular phrasing around a recent shut up and sit down video and shut up yeah. and sit down then responded on twitter but um there's also they uh mentioned the fact that so many basically so many games come out now and the board game geek uh, top 10 or top 100 rankings uh, Kimball kind of indicated that it's not necessarily what is the best of all time, it's more just kind of what's hot right now Yeah. Mm. Um, so said um, nowadays there's so much noise that it's nearly impossible to ensure that your wares are seen, heard and given a fair chance to succeed in the market uh, amazing what a difference 50,000 games in 15 years has on the communal perception of GOAT the thing uh, is, right, they're sat here, and again, this is not a reflection of what Dicebreaker, you know, thinks, or I don't know what's going through the heads of Zedman Games, you know, executive and whatever, but, like, they're sat there going, oh, whoa, we've had to cancel this Euro Classic line because we're having to focus on the things that, you know, get us more money and everything. I mean, number one... Obviously, for my job, I tend to know about board games that a lot of, you know, other people probably wouldn't know about. But Tigris mm. and Euphrates are like is definitely a game that has popped up many times in like, you know, the research I've done. Whatever, it's not exactly 
some underground sort of title. Again, amongst tabletop enthusiasts. Um, I just feel that, like, yeah, there are certain games that deserve to have reprints and, like, deserve to be, you know, experienced by people who might not have heard of them or seen them before. But I feel like you just have to be pickier with those. Just, like, choosing a load of Rhino Knizia games. Again, no offence to Knizia, but he's made a lot of games. Not all of them are especially, you know, worthwhile pursuing. So, you know, in a market where more and more people are releasing more and more stuff, yeah, like, doing something like this isn't so viable. Don't worry, Zedman Games, I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I suspect that this this comes as a result of those games just not having... Like, they're popular in the hobby, like the hobbyist end of things. Yeah. But probably compared to Pandemic or Carcassonne, those kind of mainstream breakthroughs, right, it is almost certainly a fraction of what they sell. Because once you get through that kind of, um, you know, once you break into the mainstream, like, things are probably magnitudes larger to a point where appealing to, I don't know, a, a tenth, a hundredth, whatever the difference may be in those audiences it probably just doesn't become viable. Like, even if they're great games, like you say, it's just, mm. it's worth just kind of cutting your losses, which is, is devastating, really, because, you know, you think of how many fantastic games um, there are like this that may never see print again or um, or have to rely on a Kickstarter, which, you know, doesn't mean that they're accessible to people necessarily because sometimes mm. they come in at a higher price point because of premium components, they're limited to the Kickstarter, whatever it may be. Um, mm. But... You know, you can you can kind of see why they're doing this from a cold hard business standpoint. Yeah, I mean, if obviously I'm not thrilled by the idea that you know publishers are now just sticking to the stuff that they think is safe and just keep milking those. But if if they if they're going to take risks, I'd rather they just take risks by hiring new designers who deserve mm. to be hired. And yeah, making definitely. new exciting mm. games that aren't like a bunch of again, no offense to the type of game or Kanitsu's work, but like I'd rather they just hire people to make new exciting games with themes and mechanics that we might not have seen before than re release a load of old Euro games. Well, yeah, like this so you kind of brought up what I was I was planning to say as well, Mian, where it's like you like this <laughs> There's no point sitting here saying, oh, well, you know, the industry just doesn't support this kind of work, so we're going to have to just make Pandemic again. It's like, well, no. Like, <laughs> what you've done is you've taken some very old games that were popular, as you said, Matt, within a niche crowd. Mm. Um, you've made them extremely expensive for people to purchase, and they haven't sold well. And now you're, like, well, throwing I guess... shade an indie yeah. YouTube channel. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. don't, I no. don't really know what, what, like, you're trying to achieve here. Like, also, I'm pretty sure that um, Shuffles It Down did reviews of like at least two of those uh, Euro Classic lines, and it's like, you know, and I mean, part of that is the fact that um, the media landscape is changing as well. Like, there's there's way more different board game reviews than there were at the time when you know this probably launched. Um, I mean, not to mention, you know, we've we've turned up as well, <laughs> which is good. Uh, but like, there's there's like a, a very very different um, zone now where people can learn about new and exciting games. So yeah. to to say oh, hey, we've done a reprint of something that was, like, middlingly popular. 
um, it's not really going to be that exciting to people. And I think to to cast shade because your like business idea didn't work seems a little bit unprofessional to me. But mm. I don't know. It's mm. it's a bit of a throwaway line. So yeah. sort of like yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's worth it's worth saying that so Zed Man kind of revealed some of the images of Princes of Florence, which was meant to be the sixth title, which and the first non Canizia title because it's by Wolfgang Kramer. <laughs> Um, and they revealed some of the art, um, which was, I think, nearly finished. Um, and But they have said that they'll be returning the license for that game to Kramer. So they basically said, you know, if another publisher wants to yeah. do a Kickstarter for it. So in, in fairness to them, they've said, basically, it's just not... It's not for us, but we're not stopping. Yeah. We're not going to hold on to this IP yeah, no, or something like that. That's... That would be a hundred times worse. Oh, no, we've seen that. Yeah. We've seen that <laughs> yeah. happen, and it sucks. Because, you know, obviously, there are games that we would all like to see a reprint, you know, reprint of. There's a video of that on the YouTube channel. <laughs> there is. Yeah. Thank you, man. <laughs> um, that's very good. Uh, but, you know, those are our kind of personal preferences in terms of, like... Some of those games aren't necessarily what people want or need at the moment. And yeah, I'm definitely of the opinion, like, if you've got money, Zed Man, to make risks, you know, to, to, to put yourself out there, try hiring some designers that aren't Reiner Knizia and Kramer, because they're doing fine. I, I'm looking at people who deserve to have more of a platform, you know, who, who deserve to have, you know someone take a chance on them so do do that just just mm. just listen to what i'm telling you to do and do it <laughs> business analyst alex Meehan yeah is just giving you this free information. i i have a bank account it's also just the fact that like you know they they put out boxes where it's just the classic like here's the title of the game with a person from the era uh and it's just like it's just, i don't think they're really innovating in a way where it's where it's like i mean you know, pandemic's great, and they've they've gotten a lot out of it, but it's only going to last so long. Like you'll have like the, you know, recoup- like the the carrying on long tail of pandemic. You know, box standard edition just selling ag- again and again and again. But I think you know, pandemic season zero was supposed to be the final one, right? So yeah, yeah. Like, Legacy is done. Know, yeah. Yeah. So it's you know, there's yeah, there's just... only so much life out of those titles and. Eventually, you need to start making new things. Otherwise, you're mm. just going to be just sort of like caught in the the stream of, of publishers that don't do anything anymore. You know? Yeah, and I mean, you know, we we don't know. It's like maybe they launch something completely original out of the back of this, yeah, and that's where that energy's going. And if so, yeah. like, yeah, fantastic. we're we're all down but, for that. Yeah, yeah, like th- definitely the phrasing of it, like, and like you say that quote where it's like we're focusing on these four things that are already long established, and it's yeah. like oh, okay, to say to say <laughs> yeah, we're, we're putting all of our effort into the things that essentially run themselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, on to the next one. Uh, this is a very quick one. Steamforged, um, known to you and I from the Dark Souls board game, Resident Evil 2 board game, Horizon Zero Dawn, um, as well as original stuff like Bardsong and uh, Guild Ball. They've announced or teased a Sonic the Hedgehog card game and a Sea of Thieves project, which we don't know what it is yet. We don't know if it's a board game, a card game. Uh, it probably won't be a tabletop RPG because that's not what Steamforged do, and there's that one of those already. already yeah. Right? yeah. But they teased so sonic the card game i believe is the name of it <laughs> Woo! Uh, sonic's the name and speed is the game literally <laughs> join the beloved blue blur in a competitive card racing game where you'll collect power-ups and rings to win is yeah. the description it's not, about, 
It's not licensed after the Burger franchise, though. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Jarvis, I love you so much for reading out. Sonic's the name and speed is the game. <laughs> Literally. Uh, <laughs> JML presents Sonic. Uh, we don't know loads about this. They've just teased it, I think, as part of the Gamma Expo that took place. Um, presumably, it'll be it'll be one of those. It will do. It will do what it will do. Be, <laughs> one of those. You know, you know, Steam Forest is no stranger to licensed games at this point. Some of them have been good. Some of them have been bad. Um, the recent ones, I believe, have been well. Resident yeah. Evil Two was good. I hear bad things about Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, but I've not dear. played it myself. So I think, like with Steam Forge, to be fair, um, like a lot, a lot of board game companies have been hit really hard by the pandemic. So mm. if they are just kind of falling back on video game franchises for a little bit, that's yeah, probably I mean, fair enough. Like, they... They did Bardsog relatively recently, didn't they? So yeah. it's There's not like next year. they're just firing out. Like... That is one of those games, though, isn't it? They yeah! One of those Kickstarter games, you know what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the ones that so we slag off. Dungeon Crawler. <laughs> um, so, uh, sorry, mean. No, I just, Yeah, Sonic. The Sonic there. And also, it's worth saying there have been Sonic board games already. Yeah. There was Crash Course, I think. Yeah, um, I think there was that one. And I think there was another one, so we'll see what this is. Maybe it's based on the film, because obviously the film came out recently, so maybe it's got Jim Carrey as Eggman. I'd like hey, that. Who knows? Maybe it's a Mean Bean Machine card game. Whoa! Callback! Uh, yeah. uh, meanwhile, Sea of Thieves just had a teaser image, which had some suitably pirate stuff, like a treasure chest and some gold and stuff. Had a little riddle with gold and teasers. We are bidden, but this secret shall remain hidden. Treasure Good galore, luck. you shall receive if you can brave the sea of dot dot dot. Oh, <laughs> can well, you guess what goes here? Maybe they, maybe they looked at Forgotten Waters and were like, "Hey, people like this. Maybe we should." People like pirates, huh? Mm. Maybe we should this do something what, similar. I mean, you know, rest in peace. This is what Johnny talks about a lot. So I wish there were more <laughs> right. good pirate games. He's not dead. <laughs> He's just dead to us. Uh, no. We- <laughs> We love you, Johnny. We miss you. Friend um, of the channel, <laughs> Johnny Chiodini. Uh But yeah, I mean, again, we don't know anything about the Sea of Thieves board game. Um, we don't know when it's coming out. Don't it could email be us next year. Presumably, us. it'll be. <laughs> judging on previous Steam Forged things, I would suspect there'll be a Kickstarter involved at some point. Tis the way for probably. video game board games. And presumably make a load of money, and a lot of people buy it, and it will have miniatures, and those people may or may not be pleased when it eventually turns up. Uh, Let's move on. Next one. Getting through these. Uh, There is a... A... A battle battle royale board game set in the world of Infinity, uh, the sci-fi miniatures game from Corvus Belli. Um, So it appears to be called Infinity Deathmatch Colon, Tag Raid. Tag is all in caps, so I don't know if that stands for something. Tag is their mechs. That's why uh, yeah. called an infinity. Um, so, which, I mean, you should know about getting in the robot Shinji, Matt. <laughs> Considering yeah. how you've been painting your army up. Yeah, that's true. I should know that. Uh, I've not played <laughs> Infinity yet, but I have been slowly painting them. Listen, um, when we can finally get back in the office, we will play Infinity. It will happen. And may- maybe by then we'll play this. Um, it is coming to uh, crowdfunding in autumn, this autumn, uh, and it's described as being a multiplayer battle royale survival game set in the Infinity Universe on a never-seen-before scale. So the the never-seen-before scale bit makes me think 
they might be doing like a, I can't remember the name of it, but you know the forty k game where everything is a much smaller scale, so that you can have these like ridiculous. Oh yeah. Makes you think that maybe they're doing more of like a sort of grand scale combat thing because obviously Infinity is like a skirmish game. Yeah, um, with miniatures games, yeah. when they use the word scale, it's like, are you just using that in terms of the like traditional use that most people would say scale, or do you mean literally the scale of these models? Because yeah. it's got quite a different meaning in wargaming generally. But also, if it's a board game, it might just mean big chunky like robot yeah, miniatures that you play a board game. Do with. they go the other way and it's like an adeptic? Adepticus Titanicus kind of thing. Adeptus yeah. Titanicus. Um, robots, but they're actually normal size sort of thing. Who knows? Yeah. So we'll presumably we'll find out more before this autumn when the crowdfunding campaign goes live. Mm-hmm. So there we go. That uh, another teaser for a game yeah. that we know almost nothing about. Thanks, industry. Uh, very quick one. Exit the game. Uh, the series of escape room board games by the brands Marcus and Inca. Um, Kenneth Spudiaro uh, is winning, I believe. Um, there's a Lord of the Rings one coming this autumn. Uh, so Marcus Brand teased it on Twitter. It's called Shadows Over Middle Earth. Not to be confused with Shadow of Mordor, the video game. Um, <laughs> Shadows Over Camelot. Or sh- <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's also a Return to the Abandoned Cabin, um, which is a follow-up to the original Exit the Game. Uh, ah. chap- chapter, I guess, or installment, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So you go back to the abandoned cabin, and you find a goat just living in there. Just, just living. There that's can't, can't get out. That's that's an official. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exclusive yeah. for Dice Breaker. Can confirm there's a goat in there. Yeah. So, so Marcus teased this on Twitter um, last week, and then uh, Brett Spielbox, uh, the German board game magazine added a little bit more detail in a web article uh, and suggested that it will basically, the players will be protecting Frodo during the events of the Lord of the Rings. So whether that's the whole of the Lord of the Rings or just a section, we don't know. Um, And it's not clear whether you'll be playing as like members of the Fellowship or Hobbits helping out Frodo or whether you'll just kind of be like unseen forces guiding various objects around. But Exit the Game is a great series. Those games are really good. I think Loli's spoke about them a little while ago. Mm. Yeah, somebody's um, got to stop Frodo from falling over all the time. So yeah, yeah, and and you've got to have was it lamb lamb bread? Lemonous bread. That's the mm. one. One bite will fill your whole stomach. Yep. It's uh, good stuff. I think <laughs> they have I would, a recipe for lemonous bread somewhere. I would eat even if it filled your own stomach. I'd probably eat all of it. <laughs> well, that's the that's the joke about the hobbits, right? Is they just eat it all because they're constantly hungry. <laughs> I have the a whole second bit. breakfast Hobbits are and so on. Skaven in the Tolkien world, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tolkien was clearly inspired by by what? The Games Workshop, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the way around. I mean, really I'm sure off, that's what Games Workshop would love you to believe. Uh, uh, moving on to the very last one we have, uh, which we'll get through: uh, Monopoly. Hooray! Yay! It's back. It's back on the podcast. It's back. Uh, yeah. Ring out the bell. Monopoly's here. Um, they're updating the Monopoly community chest cards yeah. uh, and they're doing so with a fan vote online which is how, I mean, everything's engagement nowadays yeah. you gotta, they did this I think previously for the player tokens at least where uh, did the T-Rex make it in and the rubber duck and stuff like that um, where they just said, what do you want to see in Monopoly? why don't you do our market research for us? yeah I hate this <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there 
um <laughs> they're so like i read like the ones we put up for the article with the like the splash image and then like the ones in the stock like they're so like saturn and like mm. cutesy and like hey we're all just a loving community in like this game that is about systematic capitalism destroying everyone around the table yeah. it's just like oh God, which i think particularly rings hollow given that in the last few years we've seen things like uh, monopoly for millennials which just yeah. came across really poorly yeah um, and of course going way back uh monopoly originally invented by elizabeth maggie um song by charles darrow was it um and never given credit by yep. hasbro um, just kind of, you know, erased out of history for inventing the landlords game, which mm-hmm. became Monopoly when Charles Darrow nicked it. So yeah. it feels weird to be like, "Hey, we're all in this together." Yeah, when it's like, it's, it mm. sucks a whole lot of ass, man. Also, <laughs> yeah. like Hasbro are a heaving behemoth of of tabletop money earning, and the fact that they're like, "Oh, hey, kids, we we're on your side." Let's see what you think about mm. the community chess. And we're just sat there going, you're you're basically smog. Like, you're sat on a big pile of money. It, <laughs> without getting too political, which, I mean, is a sentence for me to say, not really. Uh, but it is the most, like, neoliberal thing I've ever seen. Like, it's horrendous. I absolutely hate it. Uh, but I hate Monopoly anyway, so that's just kind yeah. of like... It's not yeah. a thing. It's really... It's, it also just feels like one of those things of like, here's another reason for any number of families to rebuy a game that they already have for mm. no real reason. Yeah. Um, so in terms of details, so obviously community chess cards are the cards that generally give you give you or take money, give you money or take away money yeah. for various things. So like beauty contest is like the famous one, I think. Third okay. place in a crossword competition, that kind of thing, I think pops up. Um, overdue bank something. Um, so covering topics like beauty contests, holiday funds, and life insurance, there's no denying the Monopoly games, community chess cards are long overdue for a refresh, said Hasbro. (laughs) And coming out of the tumultuous year of 2020, the term community has taken on a whole new meaning, because that's what everyone, that's what the world was missing out of the back of this horrendous year with... I'm melting right now. Hundreds of thousands or not millions of deaths due to terrible governments and awful things is it tell you what we needed out of that is a new monopoly um so yeah you can you can go and vote so um i think you vote you get two potential cards and you vote on your favorite uh, so chase who wrote the story has picked out um some examples such as you help your neighbor bring in her groceries she makes you lunch to say thanks here's 200 dollars as well as <laughs> meow you knit cozy sweaters for the hairless cats at your local animal shelter. Oh. It's two hundred dollars. Yeah, how so, does this actually like work? They don't make any sense. So <laughs> there's apparently there's a focus on volunteer work, which in itself seems strange. If that's you're then going to gain money from it, because mm. typically when you volunteer for an organisation or a charity, you do so you for, do free. It for hence free. The, yeah. Hence the word volunteer. Um. So yeah. Uh, also, Chase has pointed out that the among the choices for the go directly to jail, do not pass go, do not collect a two hundred monopoly dollars. Um, some of the potential choices are returning a lost, uh, sorry, not returning a lost wallet, or playing loud music late at night. As <laughs> as as reasons to go to jail in Monopoly. Um, 
which yeah. you know well you know it's only a matter of time in the uk thanks yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well look they've they've done communist monopoly so now they can do fascist monopoly <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh gosh! Right, I okay. need to cleanse my palate. Come on. Yeah, let's uh, have some lovely questions. So, I'll, yeah, I'll quickly throw on at the end. They're also doing so to celebrate this, uh, which is due out in the autumn. They're doing a, char- a charity game with celebrities, um, the first ever Monopoly charity classic, which will be live streamed. They'll play for a three hundred fifty thousand dollar pot, and their share will go to charity. So, you know, that's a small some bit of good spot. coming out of. I mean, although presumably they think they're going to get paid for this based on the logic from the cards. <laughs> yeah, and presumably there won't be a cut of the actual game going towards charity either. So no, no, there we go. Just um, mm-hmm. It'll be a tax write-off. But anyway, uh, so go. questions. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you'd like to email the Dicebreaker podcast, you can email! do so. Email! <laughs> <laughs> Me and still stuck on Mars, so we'll just get that. <laughs> The communication delay every now and then. <laughs> We're emailing me and on Mars. Um, and if you'd like to email me and on Mars, you can do Help, so at podcast job. at dicebreaker.com. The job has crashed on Mars. <laughs> There's no gravity here. I um, didn't even know it was spacefaring. <laughs> is there gravity on Mars? Could you fly a helicopter on Mars? There are gravity on There's gravity on yeah, the planet. Uh, yeah, but as in, would it be How comparable to. Yeah, would you be able to fly a helicopter on Mars? Well, well I'm. No please. Yeah, that's true. If, if you know physicists and or Martians, science people. Um, yeah, email us at podcast at dicebreaker.com. Anyway, let's get on with this question, shall we? Uh, Wills, would you like to read this one from Roy, please? Ooh, a chunky one. Hey all, love the podcast and all that you do. Smiley face. Thanks, Roy. Uh, a question I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on. I think there's plenty of examples of digital card games and board games that wouldn't translate well to tabletop due to things like constant automated computations and randomization that would be tedious or near impossible to do in the real world. Brackets like Slay the Spire, which I think we all discussed a few weeks ago. Yeah, I think we were talking about the fact that there's a tabletop version coming mm. soon. And Toto was once again jump up on the desk. Hello, bud. Um, <laughs> beyond the joy of holding physical components and actually being with other humans, can you think of examples of the opposite phenomenon? I.e. a card game or board game where you enjoy manually doing the calculations or sums and having it automated would detract from the experience. I ask because I recently got a physical copy of Can't Stop, which I had previously only played on Board Game Arena, discovering the potential combinations of dice in the physical version instead of having them spelled out for you really increased the joy of the game for me. Sorry for the rambling question. Feel free to paraphrase. Thanks again, Roy. Thanks, Roy. Uh, yeah, yeah it's worth shouting out Can't Stop, which Lowly's taught me and I uh, way back when. Uh, and it's a great game, but I will say that I love Can't Stop because... As Roy kind of points out, it's you roll two dice uh, and you decide to move pawns up different tracks which represent all the different results that you could roll. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I love about the board is that the tracks, the length of them basically signifies the likelihood of that number being rolled. So seven, which is the most likely result, has the longest track because mm-hmm. you need to, you're most likely to roll it, but that means you have to roll it more. Whereas like one and 12, which have the least likely... <laughs> Preserve Toto's modesty, um, <laughs> uh, which have the least likely chance of being rolled. They're, I think they're just like one or two or three spaces, but it's such a kind of interesting visual representation of probability calculations, like Roy yeah. points out. And there aren't loads of games that I think spell it out like that and use it as part of the game itself. 
Um, I think games the way I do enjoy doing the calculations are things like Roll and Writes, um, because they're often simple and that is kind of the game is you roll your stuff you add it up and you plonk it in it's just all numbers but because it's the center like the center of the game rather than just you know we're going to play the game and then do half an hour of maths at the end uh it becomes fun so yeah i love rolling rides i think ganshon clever is a really good one of those mm. um and yeah that's me yeah i think there's a, there's a few games where like you can sort of get caught out by not paying attention and that's kind of part of the fun where it's like oh god damn i miscalculated like i did this wrong or whatever which like when we did our um pardon me today we played of uh welcome to on the on the youtube channel which you can find now um i thought i was sitting pretty and then i realized that i'd made a block of five instead of a block of six buildings because i literally just miscounted how many houses were in it and it just completely screwed up my score. So, like, I think there are a few different versions where, like, you do kind of miss out of some of the, like, uh, slapstick comedy of, like, someone just completely screwing up the, the maths of something. But, I mean, that there is also just a question of accessibility of, like, you know, not everyone's good at maths, mm. me included. <laughs> and, like, and so, you know, some people have, um, I can't remember the name of dyslexia, but the number version. Uh, Discalcula, I think. Um, for example, which can can screw people up. Um, so yeah, there's there's I think there's there's arguments either side of like there's there's certainly like fun elements and certainly some games where Toto no you oh my god he's trying to drink out of a glass <laughs> he's gonna knock that over but somebody else talk there's there's it's good either way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, me and. Yeah, I mean, I anything hate, come to mind? I hate adding up, so because <laughs> I because numbers, I'm not good at numbers, so anything that that takes that burden away from me, I to be honest, I'm quite happy with that. Um, I suppose when they break it down for you, like um, Overboss does that, where it's like, okay, now we're going to score this, and then we're going to score this. I like that because it it you know simplifies things for you. Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm not someone who enjoys doing calculations and working out probabilities and stuff like that because I don't have a very good brain for it. So, mm. yeah, it, like you say, it shouldn't be the focus of a game. Like a game shouldn't come down to your ability to do maths. I think that's. It's actually one of my pet peeves is games that rely on memory, particularly yeah. in discard piles. Like everything should yeah. just be open information. Like mm -hmm. if someone's played a card that's visible to the table everyone should be able to see that card for the rest of the game and be able to make judgments based on that rather yeah. than playing into a face-down pile and trying to remember whether something got played 20 minutes unless, ago. Unless it's one of those like programming games where you're trying to predict or that kind of thing. Yeah, or there's a it gets shuffled or people can take back out of the pile and things like that. If there are, you know, mitigating factors that make sense, but just in terms of pure memory reliance, mm. it's just, it's not fun. It puts so many people at disadvantage for no reason really like i don't have a great short-term memory and like it just becomes a frustrating experience rather than focusing on the game and i think it's similar with maths like the fact that things like board game arena um exist and allow people to experience those games without having to do the maths like fantastic mm. like it's not a core part of that game experience and to be fair like if you're making a game where like the person who wins is the one who's best at memory and best at maths. As long as that's like Very the defining obvious, factor of yeah. the game. Like, you know, if you're playing like the maths memory game, then that's fine, isn't it? But like if you're playing 
uh, like an area control game, but you keep getting screwed up because you have to do so many complicated equations to figure out like what you can do with your turn. Then yeah, it does sort of like skew it away from the kind of the idea of what's supposed to make you good at the game. Mm. Um, I will say that like uh, we've been, I did this digital card games list, uh, best digital card games, which you can watch on the channel. Um, played some Magic: The Gathering Arena and has been having a good time with it. Uh, and I'll tell you for why it's because I don't have to read all the <laughs> cards as much and work out all the maths and figure out like what the hell this keyword is that I've never seen before because I can just hover over it and it tells me like there is like a massive amount of accessibility especially for trading card games uh, when you do like give yourself a digital option mm. um, and it does mean like you know one of the things I said in the script was you can you're actually better off learning magic the gathering through playing arena than you are from like reading a rule book or whatever because it's so complicated now it's a lot easier for a computer to just tell you how it works and then once you go to play the physical game you'll be like oh i know how that works because i've been playing with it you know like mm. uh, it just sort of removes some of the burden of information that a lot of people have yeah a good player reference it's nothing better i think that's well, it's yeah. one of the things with even physical root um like the app is really good at telling you what you can do and why you can do it but i think actually physical root it does a fantastic job of when you look at your board, most of the time you can tell exactly what you can do and what it does. Even though it's a, it is a complex game, there's a lot going on. Most of it is accounted for in the actual graphic design, so you don't mm. have to check the rule book a lot. You know, there'll be small cases where you do, but it's the, you know, a good graphic designer and a good kind of rule book editor and rules reference editor can yeah. make just the world of difference. Mm. There's also like, there's this, this little phenomenon where like, you'll play the digital version of a game that was originally a tabletop game um, and the timing just feels weird and doesn't make sense. Whereas if you were playing with physical cards, it's like, all right, cool, I can't do now that now because I would have discarded my hand at this point or, or you know, something like that. When that becomes abstracted via making it into a video game, suddenly you're just like, sorry, why can't I do this? Mm. And it just like, it feels wrong a lot of the time where it's, um, you know, there's a very specific rule that's working in the background that you don't necessarily see because you're not, actually learning the rules you're just playing the, the digital version of the game and it, it can make things feel a bit off and a bit like confusing i think um where you're only really uh, like able to play the digital game to its full capacity if you've already played the tabletop version or something you know yeah which kind of sucks cool. yeah. thank you for your question roy uh mian would you like to read this one from Haley, please oh i read a question that had my name in it and mian's about to read a question that's got her name in it nice. um Hey everyone, I know Mian's talked about terraforming Mars on the podcast before and I'd like to know if anyone has played the expansion and how they thought it worked with the core game. My friends and I love the core game but worry that the expansions could mess up the balance as it sometimes happens with good games. Hope you're doing well, Hayley. I'm Thanks, using Hayley. this as a bit of a springboard as well um, because I thought it was a nice reason to chat about expansions that we do like. Because uh, I feel like they're one of those things where, you know, expansions aren't necessarily a lot of the time. Um, so expansions that do actually add something and feel like vital mm. or, or at least beneficial uh, are mm. worth shouting out. Mm. I, I've not played the expansions of Terraforming Mars. I've only played the core game. Matt, have you done it? I've not. I think there's one of them on the app, right? Uh, I think one of them is available for purchase but i've not bought it yet but i'm enjoying terraforming mars so i might well go in on it mm. uh, meanwhile i patiently await all the root expansions yeah dire wolf <laughs> if you're listening 
<laughs> yeah, Dial, put some of those rules. Holding root. them to hostage. Give yeah. us the river folk. <laughs> yeah, we we I'm playing will... so much root. I need those lizards. This is a this is a confirmation from Dicebreaker. Direwolf, we will we will buy those expansions if you put them on the We digital. being Mad Men. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we will buy them because uh, we play the heck out of that game and we want to experience the other expansion, the other faction. There you go. That's what twenty quid, which, as we all know, is about how much it costs to produce a DLC. So there we go. Done. <laughs> easy. Like it's <laughs> it's yeah, easy money. Dial. Yeah, <laughs> you've got you've got at least two guaranteed customers. Ooh. I don't well, see that's where all the you risk need is. to sell a successful game. <laughs> yeah, I, once Nintendo 50. sold two copies of Mario, they were quids in. Yeah. <laughs> as we've already proven, I am a, a business expert. <laughs> that's true that's so true. we've proven it by saying yeah. it yeah we've proven it by saying it so. this is where they introduce loot boxes for root to recoup the costs of the no. expansion <laughs> look you can you can make the cat wear a funny hat look, you can make the dress the cat like um what's the latest thing in Fortnite? ryu from street fighter or yeah or Laura post Croft. malone or like <laughs> Um, okay, so seeing as none of us have played the Terraforming Mars expansion, I mean, Wills, I assume you've not. I don't think you've played. I've not played Terraforming Mars. Yeah. So, yeah no, I'm even. I'm even more in the dark. I'm afraid. Uh, so Haley, we're going to answer a different question, which is related to it. Which but it's is... been springboarded from yeah. your question. Yeah. Well, thank you for your original question. <laughs> yeah. Um, if we do play the expansions, we'll let you know what we think. Hmm. Um, as for expansions that we do like. And don't mess up the balance. What do you think, Mr. Jarvis? So, I we spoke about Arkham Horror before. The game that I have, um, I own all expansions for, is Mansions of Madness. Um, but that's largely because it's story-driven. I think some yeah. are much stronger than others. I think the, often the gameplay is the weakest part of Mansions of Madness. Mm. Where it just is like, well, this is impossible. Or we hit some invisible timer in the companion app. So now we have to yeah. fight for Star Spawn. Um, which can be frustrating, like some of them are definitely weaker, but that's the game where my wife and I, like I say, I think they were annual, so it was one a year, and they were always around Christmas, so every Christmas we would pick up Mansions of Madness expansion, and that's what we'd play over the Christmas holidays. Um, so they they have a soft spot in my heart. Um, Root is a game that I am after the expansions for, I own one of them, um, thanks to the kindness of the team, uh, I own the Riverfolk one. But that is a game where I am now set on getting the expansions. And I think they, they've they always seemed very well considered mm. for a game that is very finely kind of balanced, yeah. balanced around how those different uh, factions can interact. Mm. Uh, I think that's it. I think that is about it. Like, I've picked up a few, like, trading card games and whatnot. Picked up a few. Oh, Eldritch Horror. Tell you what, Eldritch Horror, I've got a couple expansions. of expansions for. Yeah. Um, but they do, they bloat it significantly. To the point where my wife and I went to play it a few months ago, opened up the box, saw like four different game boards and three <laughs> different rule books, and we're like, "We'll play something else." Yeah, I mean, um, I would say if you're gonna, if anyone's going to play Eldritch Horror, you're already committing to the bloat anyway. You might as well true. bloat it up a bit more. Just go bloat it up, bloat it up. <laughs> but yeah, I think the difference between that and Mansions of Madness is Mansions of Madness introduces characters and scenarios. And occasionally gameplay rules, but they tend to be smaller kind of additional things. Whereas the Eldritch, the Eldritch horror stuff is significant, oh, yeah, kind of like new. new mechanics and rules. That yeah. Eldritch horror, not a small game to begin with. 
Like you I, say, I it's... think they tend to add old ones for you to go up against, don't they? Yeah. With and who have different mechanics from them. There's like a dream board mm. and stuff like that, like the dream realm. Yeah, there's a um, dream realm. <laughs> dream it just, realm. <laughs> it just adds it adds a lot. Um like I, I'm I tend to be more for expansions that add um almost I guess like replacement content. So it's like, oh you can play as these different characters instead. Yeah rather than just piling on more and more stuff. Mm. Yeah, so what what I was going to say is my favourite kind of expansions are the ones that give you a different way to play the same mm. game. Um, so, like, one example is... Uh, like, so, oh, we mentioned the um, that run of macro games with Inish and, and Sigfies and Comet. Sigfies and Comet have some really cool, uh, like, expansions that are really quite innovative, I think. Um, Sigfies has one... This one's not quite as, as innovative as the other, but it's still quite cool. Um, because it's like a, it's an all versus all war game. It allow, it gives you a map and a set of rules to allow you to play as two teams against each other. Mm. So you're like on an island each, and you're sailing across the ocean to fight, which is quite cool. Um, but Comet has one that I've not tried yet. That I do really want to give a go, which is bonkers. Um, where instead of playing, you know, five pers- five people all against each other, you instead play up to five people co op against one person who plays as like the bad guy um, who is absurdly powerful so you can only beat him by all working together and and fighting um but the the funniest thing about it is that i'm pretty sure the person who plays as the bad guy has purple miniatures so you kind of end up being fanos essentially (laughs) um but like there's there's like a loads of like really fun wacky things that you can do with it where it's like um, you can steal people's order tokens and then use them against them and stuff like that, and like you ba- you get to play like an actual villain, which is quite cool. Because a lot of those board games where it's like, oh, here's five people versus one person. One person is essentially just like the game master. Mm. Whereas in this one, you are playing no, like I'm a character. I'm playing like the other guy that you're trying to be. It's one versus five kind of thing. So that one looks really fun. I want to give that a go. But those are my favorite expansions, ones which like give you a new way to approach the game kind of thing mm. without just adding more content, which mm. is always a little bit like, yeah. Yeah. For me, it's Widow's Walk. Widow's Walk is the best expansion I have ever played. It's so good. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Providing uh, dance moves there. So that's yeah, for, the, for our listeners. Yeah, it was very good. Uh, I loved it. Um, yeah, I think Widow's Walk is such a such such a fine example of how to do an expansion. It's uh, it's a Betrayal at House on the Hill, which is a game I'm already very fond of. I know it can be controversial with some people thinking it's unbalanced. Widow's Walk does not solve that. I am fine with this. <laughs> it probably makes it worse. It, it does. <laughs> is it Widow's Walk that changes the dice system, nope. or is that maybe that's Legacy? Maybe I'm getting confused with Legacy. Uh, as far as I know, Widow's Walk doesn't change any of the fundamental mechanics of the game it just adds oh sorry i got onto the door very quick i'm very sorry uh 130 i'm just gonna type that in hello sorry about that that was one task i was given slack channel it's like Sarah's like, my mum's birthday present is turning up. Please receive it, otherwise. Bad times. Right, okay. We'll <laughs> uh, go back to it. Yeah, it, it doesn't change any of the fundamental mechanics of the game. It just adds a new area to the 
the kind of map, the tile map, and it like introduces a whole new bunch of scenarios for you to play through, which is great because like the main draw of betrayal are the scenarios, uh, and it those scenarios are all written by people like outside of you know the publisher and the, the main designers of the game. They literally just hired a load of really interesting and great writers to kind of just go buck wild with whatever they wanted to do. So there are some really intriguing, you know, scenarios that you can play that are just so different from the cool ones of Betrayal. Because Betrayal has just like a very pulpy horror vibe where a lot of it's like, here's some spiders, here's a, a giant monster thing, here's Frankenstein's monster. That sort of thing. Uh, whereas these are a lot more do whatever you want with it. And some of them are like, okay, but others are just really interesting. And they just play with the, the kind of system of the game in really, really cool ways. And I think that's why it's such a good expansion. Because, yeah, yeah cause it doesn't bloat things either because you've only played one expansion, one, sorry, scenario at a time. So it's not like you're mm. playing these things on top of the other. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I think it's really good. Expansions like that, yeah. Yes. It's not. It's not like, okay, you're playing the normal game, but now you need to learn these rules, and now you need to learn these rules. No. It's just like, no, you're just playing the game differently now. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you for your email, Haley. Yes. Thank uh, you. And we will call it there for this week's Dicebreaker podcast. Before we leave, very quickly, Wills, what's coming up on the video side over the next week or so? Well, Matt, uh, <laughs> we have got. <laughs> We've got a, uh, a slew of hot content coming your way, as always. Um, so we spoke about it before. Um, hoping to get that Let's Play of the new Summoner Wars demo up this week. That may move again. Who knows? <laughs> um, we've got a lot of sort of like things that are in the works this week that may or may not happen this week. Um, so a couple of videos that we're sort of waiting on. and uh, Not waiting on, but, you know, sort of we need external people to come help us to film them. So we might end up changing it around so we may or may not have done a summoner wars playthrough we may or may not have done a painting stream uh podcast would have been the day that you're watching this hopefully and then on saturday we're hoping to have a new string of rpgs uh come out which will not be dungeon breaker it will be just like a short series whilst we sort of like adjust to the gap and stuff like that um whether or not that happens <laughs> uh but then on sunday one piece of content that i can confirm is coming um, our lovely Mr. Matt Jarvis did a, uh, a really wonderful interview with Cole Worley, the designer of Root, which we've been talking mm -hmm. about, uh, and John Company and um, Pax Pamir, uh, a very, very um, well-established and uh, very, very good designer. Um, Matt has been uh, talking to him about a few things for an event, and we're going to see that live on the channel soon. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Mm. Uh, next week... Uh, who knows? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Life is a roller coaster. It is. Mm, you just gotta yes. ride it. Just gotta ride it. <laughs> Thanks, Ronans. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, like Will said, I spoke to Cole Worley for Tabletop Gaming's virtual spring showcase. Uh, but we'll have that live on the YouTube channel afterwards if you didn't catch it as part of the event. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, it was a good, fun chat. Um, about uh, Oath mainly, we just chat about Oath, which sounds like a fascinating game that I want to play a lot. Uh, but it's coming out soon. But meanwhile, over on Dicebreaker.com, uh, we already have up, but I'm gonna plug it because it's a really good story. Uh, Chase 
wrote about the Warframe-inspired RPG Frame, um, which was kind of pulled off of Kickstarter after um, just kind of like a really kind of sad (laughs) series of events um, Mm. kind of from the community, pushing back against this small indie designer and creator um, kind of... For, for no real reason, because it's not, it wasn't kind of taking art from Warframe, anything like that, but it was accused of kind of rip, ripping off the video game. Um, Despite being directly inspired by Anne. Yeah, like it was very like upfront was, yeah, about how it was sucks. inspired, but none of the art, none of the lore was actually directly taken. Mm. Um, so that's a, that's a really good piece. It kind of goes into kind of in depth about what happened there. Um, hopefully this week, Alex Meehan, you've written about Dead of Winter. Um, and why it's a great game if you're looking for something to take that kind of next step after kind of like more simple beginner games kind of step up to something slightly more complex um, get involved with different mechanics and so on Uh, i'm looking forward to that very much yeah Um, i'll also plug over on eurogamer if you've not encountered them yet we have a series of dice breaker recommends the latest being on patchwork which is also by one alex mian Mm, Uh, so you can catch those over on eurogamer yeah yeah uh, so head over there, but then come back to us because also you know, yeah. we want you as well. Don't go over to that video game lot. Yeah, because that's all the board game content they get. We get yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, We also have uh, Jason Coles wrote last week about um, Magic the Gathering's crossovers. So the upcoming crossovers, crossovers with Lord of the Rings and Warhammer 40k, as well as the slightly more distant The Walking Dead uh, crossover and what that could mean for the future of Magic the Gathering. Um, we have a piece coming up on oh goodness I've forgotten the name of it um, Emmet I believe is the tabletop RPG um, as part of an anthology of games uh, inspired by the experience of being Jewish um, mm-hmm. and we've had a fantastic freelancer Rhea, write about that which should be up very soon um, we have a lot of other things coming up we have a Forgotten Waters review in fact from Charlie Phil um, who has written that up uh, and yes it's I mean, he basically echoes my feelings about it so far, but I haven't played it nearly as much for review. So uh, it's a really good review. But for now, that's us. There's a lot coming up. Check out youtube.com slash dicebreaker, obviously for the wonderful videos from the video team. Check out dicebreaker.com. We have, uh, it's ended now. We did have a sale, so I won't plug the sale, but you can still grab Dicebreaker merchandise as always from dicebreaker.myshopify.com. Hopefully we'll have some more stuff in the works very soon. Um, well, soon. Let's not say very soon. It's in the works. <laughs> it will be up when it will be up. But we'll have some more stuff before the year is out for sure. Um, but for now, that's been the Dicebreaker Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Michael Wills Whelan. Thank you. Uh, those of you who are watching on YouTube will see that I'm being swallowed by the sun. So I guess I'll never <laughs> see you again. <laughs> it was nice seeing you, Wills, as you disappear <laughs> into your new life as the star child. Uh, Alex Mean, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Joining Kiss. Um... <laughs> thank you for joining Kiss. Uh, uh, Wills is off to be Star no, Child. I... Alex Mean is off to be Gene Simmons or one yeah, of the most I'm, terrible I'm... members. Yeah, I'm Gene Simmons. Um, <laughs> I like the idea that Gene Simmons is, is the pseudonym. <laughs> uh, I'd also like to congratulate Toto on finally mm-hmm. getting into the guest room of Wills' yeah. Wills's flat. So well done to you. You're a good lad. <laughs> I've been Matt Jarvis thank you for listening I hope you stay safe out there we will be back next Friday with another Dustbreaker podcast but until then have a lovely day bye bye